We have two Bible readings today. The first is from Acts, and it describes what happened when Paul planted a church in Thessalonica but was heavily opposed. The next Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians, and it describes what happened next as Paul was worried about the young church that he had left behind. So the first reading, again, this is from Acts. We're looking at chapter 17, verses 1 to 15, and this can be found on page 1578 of your pew Bibles. That's 1,578. Verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days... He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying, There is another king. One called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness, and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned what Paul had preached, was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Now we'll turn to the next Bible reading, and this can be found on page 1682 of your pew Bibles. That's 1 Thessalonians. We'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 17 to chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 17, verse 17, sorry. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, 
or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For, we know, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as, we, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and all our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you have always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you would be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it never returns to you empty. Uh, so we pray this morning, may it do your work in our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, can I ask you please to take out the leaflet that you're given as you came in? You'll see on the inside, as usual, a reasonably detailed outline of what I'm going to cover. Uh, you'll see the whole of the 1 Thessalonians 2 reading has been printed there in various stages. So if you have that open, it means you don't have to juggle that and your Bible. You'll notice there is a discussion question that we will get to today. Uh, just giving you a heads up about that, a chance to be able to share with the person next to you for a few minutes. Uh, you'll see on the, uh, on the top left there, sorry... If you're looking for spare handouts, you'll find them just outside the door. Thank you. Um, uh, you'll see a question at the top left. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? The answer, of course, many things. Uh, some of the things we worry about, they can be a little bit trivial. And we find ourselves wishing that they didn't bother us so much. Uh, other than the things that we worry about, well, they're big, they're serious. It's entirely understandable. We just love to know how to move forwards. One of the biggest things that I worry about is what happens to Christians who I once shared life with, but we've just naturally grown apart. How are they going? What have they done? Above all, are they still walking with Jesus? There's a picture on screen behind me, uh, you'll see. This is uh, from some uni friends of mine who were at our wedding. Uh, you probably don't know most of those people, although the bottom right does have a picture of a very young Mark Peterson, the CMS state director. 
But actually, it's the person in the left there, in the yellow, who I want to talk about. This is Clara. Uh, Clara was the first person I ever saw become a Christian. Uh, we both studied economics together, and whilst we were at uni, one day I summoned up the courage to invite her to an evangelistic talk, and incredibly, she came to Christ. And uh, I had the amazing privilege of watching as, over the subsequent years, she grew as a new believer. But after we graduated, as often happens, we just drifted apart. And in fact, the last time I saw her was at our wedding 25 years ago. I often wonder, I wonder what happened. And that question in many ways sums up the Thessalonian story so far, and it's what today's talk is all about. You'll see on screen behind me a slide just reminding you that Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's making his way anti-clockwise around the Mediterranean, uh, establishing churches along the way. Uh, after being deported from Philippi, he came to Thessalonica, which of course is the subject of what we're talking about, um, where he planted a church, but after just three weeks, he was chased out under the cover of darkness. And at that point, he moved to Berea, and this time in Berea, he saw a significant number of conversions. In fact, it felt like a bit of a turning point on the whole journey. Until, as you heard in that reading from Acts, his opponents from Thessalonica travelled all the way to Berea just to stir up more trouble for him. And we were told the Bereans immediately moved Paul on. Well, given that kind of hostility towards the Thessalonian Christians, it's no wonder that Paul is pretty worried about the new church. So, let's see what happened next. Let's see what Paul did and see what we learn about God from what from his response. So point one there on your handout, what Paul worries about. Pick it up with me in chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. It's there on your handout for you to follow along just that first paragraph. Paul. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated you from a short time, uh, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Well, from this paragraph, you get a sense of Paul's great concern for the Thessalonians, uh, how much he misses them. You see it in phrases like intense longing, uh, made every effort to see them, orphaned by being separated from them. Uh, I take it that's because Paul knows what's at stake. Verse 18, we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Now, whatever it means for Satan to block their, his way, and we don't exactly know, Paul is saying that when it comes to the growth and the health of new believers, when it comes to the growth and health of a new church, there is significant spiritual opposition, even beyond the Jewish opponents, who presumably had come back from Berea to Thessalonica, baying for blood. Uh, this is not uncommon uh, in Paul's thinking. Uh, we saw this back in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, that great letter that we studied last year. I've printed verse 12 there for you on your handout. Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
No wonder Paul is so worried about what's happening to the Thessalonians. It's not just that he's been separated from them. Ultimately, what's at stake is what's going to happen to them when, verse 19, when our Lord Jesus comes. Or I guess to put it positively, no matter what happens now, Paul's only comfort will be knowing that one day they will all be together in the presence of our Lord Jesus. So much so that, verse 20, he says, Our hope, our joy, the crown in which we glory is you. It's the Thessalonians. That's what gives him optimism. Yet, of course, even that conviction doesn't fully allay his concerns uh, because he can't see them. He doesn't know for certain what's happening right now. So at this point, he sends Timothy to find out what's going on. This is chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and that's the next paragraph there. Let me read it out for us. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it'd be best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we'd be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. Okay, well... Timothy's a pretty good guy to have on hand, isn't he? Pretty good guy to have for this situation. Look at how Paul describes Timothy, verse 2. Our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ. He's the one who he's going to send to them to strengthen and encourage them in their faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Let me make a couple of comments about what Paul is doing at this point as he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. The first thing is that It's worth pointing out that it's a pretty big sacrifice for Paul to send Timothy, uh, to send his brother and co-worker, and to be left by himself in Athens. In fact, elsewhere, Paul will call Timothy his dear son. His dear son. And yet, he sends him back to Thessalonica, leaving Paul all alone in a city which seems so ambivalent about Jesus. What I'm trying to say is that there is always a personal cost in ministry. There is always a personal cost in ministry. Uh, It's true, there is great joy. We know that. We're actually going to see that in this chapter. But there is always a cost in ministry. This week gone by in particular, uh, we've been talking as a church family about the upcoming site redevelopment. Uh, What's going to happen when we move off-site? We've been trying to reflect a little bit on the possibility of a proposed move to two identical all-age AM gatherings. As I've listened to your gracious and thoughtful feedback, what I want to say is that I know it's not going to be easy. It's true, like, um, it'll be great to have gatherings which represent the best of both of Gatherings that represent the best of both 9 and 10.30. And it'll be fantastic for the generations to come. 
And above all, in many ways, I think for most of us, it feels like it's about time. I mean, we bought the car park 30 years ago, 1994. So you could hardly say that we're rushing into this. But even though none of us want to waste this moment, it's going to cost all of us something. So one of the things that we see in this passage is that ministry and the possibilities, though wonderful, they are always costly. Which then begs the question, what are the trials, verse 3, that Paul is referring to? Verse 3, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. What are these trials that Paul's referring to? Well, it's possible that what Paul is referring to is the trials that the Thessalonians are going through, the trials that the Thessalonians are enduring. Now, let me say, I suspect it was pretty rough for them. Uh, Their opponents in Thessalonica are pretty fanatical. Remember, they were willing to go all the way to Berea just to chase Paul out of the next town. Did you know Berea and Thessalonica are 72 kilometres apart? That's a 144-kilometre round trip on foot that they made just to chase Paul out of the next town. So you can imagine what they were like when they came back to the new church there in Thessalonica. So it's possible that he's referring to those trials that the Thessalonians are enduring, but actually, I think it's more likely that Paul is referring to his own trials. The fact that he got kicked out of Berea, and now he's had only limited success in Athens, and by the time he gets to Corinth, well, as you know, things don't go very well in Corinth either. Look at verse 3. For you know quite well that we are destined for them, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we'd be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. And yet, it's a measure of Paul's love and concern for the Thessalonians that he's less worried about his own trials and more concerned that when the Thessalonians hear about his trials, that they might be tempted to give up their faith. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. For this reason... When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. Now notice here that Paul doesn't refer to Satan. Uh, He did earlier. Satan just means accuser or adversary. That is, it describes a very hostile environment. At this point, Paul refers to, verse 5, the tempter. The tempter. Because the threat of losing heart is just as dangerous as a frontal assault. For Christians, the threat of losing heart is just as dangerous as a frontal frontal assault. I mean, the scenario is not hard to imagine, is it? When you think about the Thessalonians, they're brand new believers, they're experiencing significant persecution of their own in Thessalonica... They hear about all the struggles, even the failures of the great Apostle Paul, the one who founded their church. It's entirely possible to imagine the Thessalonians being tempted to think this Jesus thing, it's just too hard. Maybe we ought to throw in the towel and give up before it gets any worse. I say it's not hard to imagine because sadly we see it happen all too often. When news of a Christian leader renounces their faith breaks, 
when you hear that, especially if that person has been significant in your life, maybe even they would lead you to Christ. That's a devastating ripple effect that flows throughout the whole church and beyond. And yet, the reverse is also true. And in fact, it's where Paul goes next. When we are struggling, if we hear of others who are standing firm in the Lord, that gives us the most amazing encouragement. So, point two then, on the right-hand side of the handout, what brings Paul joy? What brings Paul joy? Pick it up with me, chapter 3, verse 6. There on the right-hand side of your handout. Paul. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you're standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Well, isn't that extraordinary? Uh, to use a meteorological image, it's like the fog has lifted and the sun has come shining through. It's like emerging from the deep gloom of winter and into the radiant joy of spring. You hear Paul's delight, his relief, his joy. Why? Because Timothy has come back with, verse 6, good news about your faith and love. Literally, the word good news is gospel. Timothy has come back with the gospel about your faith and love. Now, I think here there's a deliberate parallel with verse 2. Good news about your faith and love, gospel of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Both the work of Christ and the conduct of his people, both are good news. Both are things worth celebrating, matters to rejoice in, which we're going to do in just a moment. See, Paul is saying that the way the Thessalonians feel about him, it's indicative of how they feel about Jesus. Verse 6, Timothy has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Paul knows if they haven't given up on him, they haven't given up on Christ either. Well, I wonder, can you feel Paul's overwhelming relief even in the midst of his own trials? Uh, verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Uh, I think that's just such a lovely phrase. It's why I've highlighted it there for you on your handout. Now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. It's as, if, it's as if he was saying, now we have life or I was existing before, but now I'm alive because I know that you are standing firm in the Lord. Isn't that true? And knowing that others are standing firm in Jesus is such an encouragement, particularly when we're doing it tough ourselves. Uh, in fact, verses 9 and 10, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? 
so night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Uh, Paul is not going to give up praying for them. Uh, he prays for them night and day, just as back in chapter 2 we heard he worked night and day amongst them, in not to be a burden to anyone. Uh, we're going to see what Paul prayed for them uh, in the last section, in just a moment. But before we do, I want to take some time out, in a sense, uh, to tell you some of those stories of encouragement about standing firm in the Lord. I thought I'd tell you three. The first, of course, is with my friend Clara. Preparing for this uh, series uh, prompted me a few weeks ago to try and reach out to her, first time in 25 years. Now, can I say it wasn't particularly easy to do so, um, because I, as you know, abhor social media, I won't go anywhere near that, which meant that all I had was a 25-year-old Hotmail address. I don't know if you remember this thing called Hotmail, it used to exist. So I texted someone who I'd heard once worked with her sister somewhere to ask her for a contact number, which she provided, and after a couple of new misses, Clara and I managed to have a Zoom call just a couple of weeks ago. Turns out that since then, she also had gotten married. Uh, she'd moved to New York with her husband and been involved in musical theatre. <laughs> Economist to musical theatre, go figure. Uh, they didn't come back to Sydney because of COVID, unsurprisingly, and they're now trying to get their own stage show produced. Uh, all of which was wonderful to hear, uh, as was the inevitable reminiscing about uni. You know, to the uni students, it really is the best time of your life. Like, it really is. But better, any, better than any of that, the reason why I can say now I really live was hearing that she and her husband belonged to a local church. In fact, when I called, they were just about to head off to their prayer meeting. It is, you see, despite all the ups and downs of life, she is standing firm in the Lord, and I cannot thank God enough for the joy that I have. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now here's a second story. There's a slide on screen behind me. This is a picture of the Mandarin gathering. It was taken last Sunday. Today is the fifth birthday of the Mandarin gathering. It is today twice as big as when it started. In the meantime, it has sent people all over the world. In its short life, the Mandarin Gathering has had three ministry apprentices. Three ministry apprentices in five years. That is more than any church in our entire network. They are the fastest to that mark. How encouraging. How encouraging. Because... I don't know if you know this, but apparently there's a few Chinese out there who don't know Jesus yet. And given I can't speak Mandarin, I'm not going to be part of that great mission. But how encouraging to know that others will be. Now we really live, knowing that you're standing firm in the Lord. And so the third story that I thought I'd tell you is actually about a church that we sent out at the start of last year, February 2022, just over 130 people went from this church to Mile End to establish a church in the west. They've subsequently moved further west again now to Lockleys. I'm sure you're wondering, what's happened to them? Earlier this week, I asked Des Smith, the senior pastor of that church, if he'd just shoot a short video for us 
just giving us an update. Have a look on screen behind me. Well, hi, Trinity Church Adelaide. It's Des Smith speaking. It's great to be here with you virtually on the screen. I just wanted to give you a quick update about how things are going at Trinity Church Lockleys. For those of you who don't know, your church about 18 months ago sent uh, us out to plant into the western suburbs of Adelaide. And I'm sure some of you have been able to hear through dribs and drabs about what's been going on out there. But I also know what it's like sending out a new church you kind of don't know how things are going, and some of you worry. You go, how is it going? So I just thought I'd let you know, praise God, it's actually going really well. Of course, it's church, there are ups and downs, it's not all plain sailing, but God has been growing the number of visitors we've had out there, particularly since we've moved to Trinity Church Lockleys. Uh, people are becoming Christians, a new Christian is being baptised in just a couple of weeks' time. Uh, leaders are being raised up, and we're having a wonderful relationship with the school. So rest assured, God is looking after us. We miss you guys, but we're so grateful for our ongoing partnership. Please do keep praying for us just as we pray for you. Thanks. Now we really live, knowing they're standing firm in the Lord. And so actually, I have a fourth story to tell. The fourth story is us. We here at Trinity Church Adelaide... We are an encouragement to others of standing firm in the Lord. We are the pioneer church in South Australia, 187 years strong, part of a network of 14 churches of which we have planted five in the last two decades. Every time I go interstate to a ministry conference, I hear exactly the same refrain. What God has done through you guys is so encouraging. So here's what I'd like you to do for just a couple of minutes. You'll see there on your handout, there's a discussion question. I'd love it if you turn to the person next to you and for just a minute or two, I'd love you to share a story of someone standing firm in the Lord whom you know that will be an encouragement for others. A couple of minutes, over to you, and then I'll come back and wrap up for us. Okay, well, thank you for, um, thank you for starting those conversations. I'm sorry to interrupt. You can continue those conversations afterwards over lunch. Look, I know that when you go to lunch, I know everyone's going to talk about the weather, uh, but this would be a great thing to encourage one another. Stories of those who are standing firm in the Lord. Uh, yeah, as I said, please do join us at lunch. Um, there's this most enormous amount of pasta has been cooked for lunch today and the biggest birthday cake for the Mandarin gathering I've ever seen. So join us if you can. Let me try and wrap up point three then. We've seen... We've been on this journey with Paul about his concern, legitimate concern for Thessalonians, uh, the way in which that's been addressed. And finally, let's see how he prays for them. Pick it up with me in verse 11, the last paragraph on the right-hand side. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now we're going to say these words at the end of our service. But let me just point out a few things about the great prayers here that Paul has because they really help us frame and shape our prayers all the time, I think. Uh, look at the, the notes that I've given there for you. Paul prays personally for himself in verse 11. He prays, horizontally, that is for their relationships with each other in verse 12, and he prays vertically for God's work in them in verse 13. Let me say something about each. Firstly, 
personally for himself. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, Christ, and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Paul prays a very personal prayer, and he prays it for himself. What I want to say this morning is that it's okay to ask God for good personal desires. We actually saw that back in verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. It's okay to pray those prayers. Of course, God doesn't always answer the prayers the way we'd like him to. He hadn't allowed Paul to visit the Thessalonians until now. In fact, there is no explicit record of Paul ever going back to Thessalonica. There's a hint in Acts 20 that maybe he got there, but we don't know for sure. But that doesn't stop Paul from asking. Because his appeal, to is, his appeal is to God our Father himself. And our Lord Jesus. Jesus who has power even over Satan, who had hindered him until now. So Paul prays for, for himself. He prays very personally. Secondly, pray Paul's, uh, pray Paul. Paul prays horizontally for their relationships with each other. Verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. You see, given the Thessalonians' very difficult situation, and given the fact that he might not ever see them again in person, this is what he prays for them, that their love for each other would increase and overflow because that love is what, help, is what will help them to stand firm in their hardship. Their love for each other is what will help them to stand firm amidst their trials. I think the reason Paul says that is because, sadly, most churches don't fall because of outside attack. They crumble from within. They don't fall because of outside attack. They crumble from within. So Paul prays that God might make their love increase and overflow for each other. And did you notice there, verse 12, and for everyone else? Isn't that extraordinary? Their love might increase and overflow for each other and for everybody. Which is pretty far-ranging, isn't it? Paul, I think he is reminding us that church is both for us who are here and church is for those who are not here yet. Church is for us who are here and for those who are not here yet. And again, without laboring the point... In many ways, that's the rationale for why we are talking about two all-age AM gatherings as we go off-site. It's so that we might grow our love for each other across the generations, and it's so that we might reach those who don't yet know Christ's love at all. As I said before, it won't be easy, but it's for a great purpose. So Paul prays personally for himself. He prays horizontally for their relationships with each other. Finally, he prays vertically, vertically for God's work in them. Verse 13, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Again, what a lovely phrase. Strengthen your heart. So that when our Lord Jesus comes, 
it will be with all his holy ones. Not just Paul, not even Paul and the Thessalonians, but actually Paul, the Thessalonians, and billions upon billions of followers of Christ. Because on that day, we'll be part of the greatest reunion the world has ever seen. Let me finish with an important question. We've talked about the great joy of knowing that others are standing firm in the Lord. The question there at the bottom, what if people no longer do so? What if people have stopped standing firm in Jesus? Well, I don't really have time to answer all of that today. But I want to acknowledge the question because it's very real and very live and very personal for many of us. So let me just say two things as we conclude. The first, please don't give up. Please keep praying, as Paul did, night and day. And the second thing to say, the reason why we don't give up, why we keep praying, is because ultimately their salvation it always began and ended with God anyway. Look at Paul's confidence about the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 4. We saw this right at the start of the series. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul's confidence about the Thessalonians, despite whatever they're going through, his confidence is that they'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God because he chose us. It's not that the Thessalonians will be blameless and holy in the presence of God so that he might choose them. Because our salvation always began and ends with God anyway. That's why we don't give up praying. Did you notice that of the three prayers in verses 11, 12 and 13, in every single one of them, the subject of the, of the verb is always God? May our God clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase. May he strengthen your hearts. Salvation always begins and ends with God anyway. And if God took such extraordinary initiative to send his son to rescue us from the coming wrath, if he's gone to such amazing lengths, he's not about to give up on us now. Next week, we're going to see how that confidence shapes the way in which we live each day until he returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have begun for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the confidence that we have that what you have started, you will bring to completion in him. We thank you for the great joy of standing alongside brothers and sisters who are standing firm in the Lord. We pray that uh, you might strengthen us and strengthen our hearts to continue to do likewise. We ask that for those on our hearts who we long to see reconciled to you, we pray that in your grace and mercy, help them to see that your love never fails, that your forgiveness is boundless and that your mercy is new every morning. And we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.